And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I'm in trouble again. Nobody at the house is speaking with me. Um, we went to my grandson's basketball game t- today, and apparently the rules have changed. Now, when, when I was a kid, if you were playing ball and you missed your free throws, the crowd would boo you and get on your ass. When my kids were kids, if you missed your free throws, the crowd would boo you and get on your ass. Apparently, um, it's frowned upon for you to heckle the little kids now. So you can't tell a child you suck and boo them. Well, my mom, your grandson. Baby, you missed your free throws. Them the rules. I didn't make them. Good morning, Sweet World, and welcome to the No Dunks Podcast on the Athletic Network. It's Thursday, May 6th. I'm J.E. Skeets, along with my top shot hot boy, Trey Kirby. hey hey The international man of mystery taking it to the Max Lee Ellis. Friends. Mm. Lately, making the magic happen, J.D. Hello. There he is, and today, as you can see here on the stream team, joined by a very special guest. He's the author of of the brand new book, Bubble Ball, Inside the NBA's Fight to Save a Season. He might be the only guy who actually does more podcasts than we do here <laughs> at No Dunks. From the Washington Post, it's Ben Gulliver. What's up, Ben? What up, what up? I wish I came with a catchphrase. I should have thought of one. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. Uh, we'll figure it out as we uh, do this podcast here. Ben going to be joining us for the entire show. We are going to get to Ben's new book. A bunch of questions about this fantastic book. Bubble Ball and his experience down there in the uh, crazy Disney World complex. But we're going to talk a little hoops with Ben, too. Shout out to the stream team joining us live live right now on YouTube. Smash that like button. Leave your comments. Subscribe. Email us your questions and comments for the next Beach Steppin' podcast, nodunksattheathletic.com. We hit the beach yesterday. Had a blast, as always. Uh, We discussed the Lakers' path to the finals. Uh... Should they actually consider falling into the play-in tournament? Is that insane? We got into that. We talked about our favorite legendary players who have flamed out quickly. Guys like Keon Clark and Ben Gordon and others. And we debated just how many times we ate poutine on live television. Uh, ben, have you ever had poutine? Do you even know what it is? Yeah, it's pretty sad. The first time I ever had poutine was actually with one of your fellow Canadians, Holly McKenzie, in Las Vegas during Summer League. I had no idea what it was. It was probably like a 2 a.m. trip at a, at a hotel restaurant. It was incredible. There's actually this inc- a great poutine place just outside uh, Dearborn, Michigan. I, I go to watch the University of Michigan play football every year. They've got like uh, Mexican poutine where they put the salsa mm-hmm. on top of it. They've got all these different flavors. Indian poutine with a little curry twist. 
So well, I know it's not the classic Canadian. You guys are probably snubbing your noses, but man, I, I'll eat. I'll eat any way you put it together. Let's put it awesome. Well, that's uh, fantastic to hear. I'm happy you even know what it is, let alone have tried it. So again, we're gonna get to your book, Ben. I loved it. I just finished it actually this morning. But we had some games on last night. We had a whole bunch of blowouts, if I'm being completely mm-hmm. honest. Uh, but we'll go quickly through some of the more notable games. And the first one, Ben, we had Capella and the Hawks Ka-ka! pull away late to take the 135-103 victory over the Phoenix Suns. And in related news, on Tuesday, DraftKings reported that a better in Colorado placed a $20,000 bet on the Hawks to win the NBA title at 100-1 to odds. Yeah, the same better placed another 20K on Atlanta to win the East at 40-1 to odds. And then we had someone else like out in Vegas reportedly putting a $5,000 bet on the Hawks to win it all. I don't know what's going on here, Ben, but what do these people know that we don't about uh, the red-hot Atlanta Hawks here? Are they, uh, I don't know, are they title contenders? Should we be uh, considering them in the bunch of these other elite teams? That just sounds like a tax-deductible charity donation. <laughs> I don't know why, why you're handing your money away to these uh, casinos for no reason. I don't see it. Look, they're an interesting team. They're going to give somebody a problem in the first round because they can't put up a lot of points like they did last night. There's no question. And I think that Clint Capella has started to get a little buzz in terms of his overall defensive impact. It's very, very warranted. I think my question, though, is when you're playing elite teams in the postseason, is Capella still going to hold up defensively, right? Because he's one of those guys who's been picked on in previous years, and Houston would actually go away from him a lot in the postseason because, you know, he'd get out there and switches and guards would kind of go to work on him. And he's, he's not the most versatile defensive player in terms of covering ground. Obviously, incredible interior defender. But, um, you know, and, and also offensively, he's kind of a, a one-trick pony in terms of, of being a finisher. So, to me, that's kind of a question. Like, their whole defense is going to fall apart if he can get picked on in the postseason, if, if guys are able to kind of exploit him. Similar to some of what we've seen from the Utah Jazz and Rudy Gobert in past years. So, I would say terrible bet. Those guys should feel ashamed of themselves and uh, better luck next year. Okay, yeah, maybe the Hawks uh, winning the title, even the East, is a little far-fetched. But if they were to play the Knicks in a first-round matchup, where would you lean right now, Ben? Because the Hawks are on fire. I mean, I know we're joking around here with these bets, but yeah, since Nate McMillan's come in there, since they've gotten healthy, they basically have their full squad back no DeAndre Hunter still I think Cam Reddish also still out uh but yeah a lot of guys back in this lineup would you favor the Knicks or a Hawks in a, in a 4-5 matchup in the first round look this is an easy choice for me skates all right if you're telling me I can come on here and hate on the Knicks and get all your engagement <laughs> and your views up or I can just maybe express some doubts about the young Hawks and no one's gonna care I'm going for hating on the Knicks right. all right yeah, I buddy. still think these guys these guys are a cute story, right? I mean, Julius Randle obviously playing way uh, above his you know typical expectations for this season. He should win most improved player of the year. He got a real taste of what the MVP conversation looked like last night against Nikola Jokic. I don't understand exactly how Julius Randle's name has been floated even in proximity to that thing. But Jokic served him up pretty good. And that's been happening all year uh, you know, for Jokic and his opponents. But to me, I think that... I will take Atlanta's kind of two-way balance. I think their defense is going to be good enough to get through that series. I just question the Knicks' offense. Are they going to be able to generate enough points when everybody's playing hard in the postseason? Is Julius Randle really going to be this one-man army who carries you through a series? I say no. And uh, let's go ahead and hear it in the comments from you know big apple 22 and and uh, <laughs> walt 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 frazier 63 you know it's fine all right Nixon, back 69 is Nixon. getting busy you can tell <laughs> but hang on ben uh, julius randall's putting up numbers similar to what larry bird put up 
during his MVP season. I mean, you, you don't give any sort of uh, weight to that there. I mean, it's been a great story, though, really, because, you know, Thibodeau coming in there, you know, Julius Randle playing, and really, you know, playing a significantly uh, important role here for the Knicks and getting them into the playoffs. You don't think there's any sort of uh, buzz there? I mean, do you think he can finish in the top five in the MVP voting? Lee Ellis, I want to hear young Lee Ellis lecture you about not comparing current players to legends like Larry Bird. Come on now, don't do that. Um, no, hey, I his season's been incredible. I never saw this from uh, Julius Randle. I mean, two years ago, I was writing him off as kind of a deadweight contract. I mean, even look at how the NBA treated him in terms of what kind of a deal he was able to get. There was nothing close to a max offer he hit free agency, and he was coming out as a high lottery pick with big stats. I think people just thought he was an empty number guy. He's improved in so many different ways. Obviously, the shooting's been incredible. He's a much better playmaker. You guys remember early in his career, he just put his head down and goes straight into the paint, and it was like, well, that's going to be a turnover or a missed layup. Like, every single time, he just had that one spin move. It was his only thing in his bag. So, give him a lot of credit for expanding. You know, I understand, you know, he, he's a deserved all-star this year for sure, but uh, past that, we need to just pump the brakes a little bit. You know, it's, <laughs> it's gone a little too out of control, and, I don't want to hear that Larry Bird comparison for anybody except <laughs> Luka Doncic and Nikola Jokic. Those are the only two people right now who you can put into that conversation, Lee. I'm ashamed of you, man. I, I remember you watching those all-star videos back in the 80s. You're better than that, Lee. Things have changed, Ben. Lee is the biggest Knicks homer you've yeah. ever met at this point. It's really weird. Yeah, he used to be a fan of all 30 teams. Now he's only a fan of the most famous team in the league. But you've been around on the internet for a while. You've been doing basketball stuff for a decade and a half at this this point you know you can't just be a good player you can't just be a most improved player if you have a good season you're automatically in the mvp conversation you're either an mvp or you should be out of the league that's the lee ellis way especially now that he's bigging up his knicks uh next thing you know he's going to be one of the guys saying emmanuel quickly has the best floater in the league (laughs) well here's the thing too with a hawks knicks series lee i mean i don't know if you're ever going to get down to the fortress again this season to actually watch games in person but you know you're going to have a Hawks jersey on, and underneath it you're going to have your Knicks t-shirt, and you're just going to be going back and forth, game to game, quarter to quarter, uh, for which team you're cheering for. Yeah, it is true. But honestly, honestly, you, you guys know from down here in Atlanta, the only time they sell out is basically when the Knicks or the Lakers play. So actually that first-round series would be great for business here for the Atlanta Hawks because they would be at capacity, whatever that capacity is right now, which would be great. But it would be a pretty fascinating first round. I mean, I, I'm not sure who would be the favorite going into that. I guess whoever has home court probably slightly ahead. But both teams, particularly the Atlanta Hawks, since Nate McMillan took over, I mean, that's another story there, Ben. Like, did you see this resurgence coming when they fired Lloyd, Lloyd Pierce? Well, I'll say this. I was pretty careful in terms of my criticism of that decision to fire Lloyd Pierce because I think he's been an incredible communicator. He's a great guy. He's always been very generous with his time. But you look at all the investments they made coming into this season, I definitely expected more than sort of what they got early. And I know injuries were kind of a problem. But, I mean, even things just like body language and engagement with some of the players during games and also how they closed games, it didn't surprise me that they got a little bump after they moved on from him. Now, did I think they were going to completely turn their season around and Nate McMillan is somehow like on the fringes of the coach of the year race, even though he's only coached half this season? I have, uh, you know, I did not see that part coming, but Nate has been rock solid. I was, he was the coach of the Blazers, actually, when I first got my start yeah. back in Portland. You know exactly what you're going to get from him. Unfortunately, the Knicks fans might counter and say, you know what you're going to get from Nate McMillan? A playoff trip, first round exit. I mean, that's typically been the standard for his teams. And so... Maybe that's going to happen again for Atlanta, or they can buck that trend. We'll see. 
Well, you brought up uh, Jokic there and the Nuggets. They reclaimed the number three seed last night, that huge win over the Knicks. What did Jokic have, 24 in the first quarter? It was something insane like that. Uh, <laughs> it was pretty impressive. I know you're on record uh, as Jokic as basically the runaway MVP favorite. There are other guys in the conversation. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to like diminish what they've done, but Jokic is your MVP pick. Do you still, though, consider the Nuggets like a title contender after the Jamal Murray injury and he's out for the season um because i tell you in reading this book man look at this synergy i was like geeking out remembering you reliving the jamal murray bubble explosion right in those games and that series he had especially against donovan mitchell but what do you think about denver here moving forward because they're winning still in the book i call jamal murray the mvp the most bubble player like he boiled everything that was about the bubble down into his own self right like he was incredibly like whimsical and fun and carefree on the court and yet in some of those interviews, breaking down about Breonna Taylor and yeah. having some really challenging moments as well. And everybody remembers him back in the tunnel, kind of doubled over. And it was a classic moment where in the bubble, the cameras were always on you. They were always watching. There was that big brother vibe. You can't even have a, a moment to collect yourself in the tunnel. Otherwise, somebody's, you know, uh, you're on national TV. You might not even know it, right? Um, it was a huge hit for them. At the same time, Jokic is not getting enough hype, guys. Look, the conversation about him right now has been focused on He's the clear-cut MVP. What that implies, it's sort of like he's had the best season. He's the best guy for this year. I think we need to expand that a little bit and say he needs to be in the conversation as just the best player in basketball, period. Now, I do the rankings every year. For, for me, it's been guys like LeBron, Kawhi Leonard, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Giannis has typically been my group that I'm kind of deciding from who should be the number one player in the sport. Jokic has got to be in this category right now, man. He has a bigger impact on his team and his teammates' success than anybody besides LeBron in the entire league. I don't think he gets that level of love nationally, and I think it's time. You watch how he's carried these guys through a tough early season stretch. You watch how well they played when they were healthy for like, you know, I don't know what it was, three or four weeks. And now what he's done without Murray, it's incredible. I mean, Michael Porter Jr. is probably going to get a max contract. He should have to tie 15% of that to Jokic <laughs> as a thank you for how well uh, his life is set up, you know, playing with the big guy and – Another thing I love about the Joker, the playoff Joker is a real deal. He goes mm -hmm. to a different level yeah. in the postseason. People like to say playoff P. I mean, playoff Joker is the exact opposite, where he will just set his game up. He's got that beautiful mid-range that he can hit over anybody. He's been stepping out to three-pointer shooting that. Um, he can beat you in the post. I mean, he absolutely worked Zubak and Clippers last week. And, I mean, it was a humbling, kind of an embarrassing situation for L.A.'s big guys. And so – when I look at them in the West, okay, the Lakers are Joke, uh, Jokic's kryptonite, right? Like Anthony Davis and those guys have kind of figured out they can limit him. But nobody else in the West has done a great job consistently. And so if you're saying, you know, Denver versus Phoenix in a series, I'm taking Denver. If you're saying Denver versus the Clippers in a series, I'm taking Denver. If you say Denver versus Utah in a series, that one's really close. I might still barely favor Utah just because of Murray's absence. But, you know, they're still in the mix there. So I do think that Denver should be viewed as a contender, even if it's not like a top-tier contender at this point. If somebody else takes care of the Lakers for them, they've got a path to the finals, in my opinion. Yeah, that's the unfortunate part right now, though. As of today, and this changes every 24 hours, the playoff standings, but the Nuggets would have the Lakers, Lily, in a first-round series. And that is the one team, uh, yeah, Ben sort of conveniently yeah. left out there when going through the Nuggets' chances against some of these uh, elite squads. I don't think many people would be taking the Denver Nuggets, especially without Jamal Murray, in a, in a first-round series versus LeBron, AD, and the Lakers. Uh, would you be one of them, Lee? 
No, I think I'd still take LeBron um, be just because we know he's done it and we know he elevates his game uh, in the playoffs. Certainly, maybe in that first game, he takes a bit of a look, but then he sort of puts uh, puts a foot down. And, you know, that's another thing, Ben. You know, you're out there in L.A. I, I don't know if you're around the team as much at the moment. Um, but what are, you, what are you feeling like, you know, just with the way that the things have been going for the Lakers? Do you think right now they're concerned at all that it looks like they probably won't have home court advantage at all in that, uh, probably at all for as long as they're in the playoffs if, if everyone sort of wins out. I mean, do you think, though, they can just, you know, when LeBron's saying he might not be healthy for the rest of the season, rest of his career at some point, Anthony Davis was clearly uh, significantly hurt with that Achilles strain, I think they called it. Do you think, though, they can just sort of flip that switch and be the dominant team again? Or do you think maybe this year it's not going to work out for them? The mood here in L.A. is, you know, clouds are crashing out of the sky. The sky is falling. People are freaking out about the LeBron ankle thing. And I think it's justified. I mean, look, if the ankle's not right, the Lakers aren't right. And they're a real threat to go early in this postseason. Both LeBron and AD play at an A or an A-plus level in last year's playoffs. That's why they rolled through everybody. The competition and the path to the title this year will be more challenging than it was last year. And there's a very good likelihood they're going to wind up in the play-in to me. I think that if LeBron keeps missing a couple games here and there, they have a a couple of head-to-head matchups with really good teams right in the same vicinity with them in the Western Conference. They could easily slip to seven. I think that's why you saw LeBron's comments about, hey, you know, we got to fire the uh, the play-in guy. This isn't fair because I think he's looking at the schedule and thinking, man, like this really could be our fate. Now, I'm not going to against LeBron in a do-or-die game in the play-in, absolutely. And I actually think if they can draw Phoenix 2-7, that is their best-case scenario at this point. I think if I were them, I would rather play a slowdown, controlled pace, like LeBron versus CP head-to-head. Maybe you could throw Anthony Davis on uh, Devin Booker a little bit like they did with Jimmy Butler in last year's playoffs. Just throw a wrinkle at some of those guards and just count on DeAndre Ayton really not being ready for primetime. I mean, I think that's the formula if you're the Lakers in the first round, but I think it's going to be very challenging for them to, to repeat. And I wouldn't have said that even before. Like, I was giving the Lakers all of the benefit of the doubt until LeBron came back and immediately had more problems with the ankle because they're out of time to ramp up here. You know, they also don't have Schroeder. And so even when LeBron does come back from the ankle here in the next couple of days, they really have a, a deficit in playmaking and, and ball handling in their backcourt uh, when LeBron's off the court. So I think it's tough for them. I understand why there's so much anxiety and fret right now in L.A., uh, this season has just been a season of setbacks um, in ways they didn't expect. And so I guess I'm kind of bracing for, uh, you know, this thing to go sideways. But, you know, sometimes we overreact to this stuff right before the playoffs. That's an annual tradition, I think. But <laughs> in, in this case, I think it's warranted because, you know, LeBron's quotes to me are, uh, you know, a little bit scary. Yeah, yeah. I remember people saying that LeBron was slowing down last year in the playoffs in the second round. He's getting tired. Is he going to have enough left for the finals? Yeah, he did. Um, it's fun to get worked up about LeBron, especially, uh, but I would not put it against him to drop down to the 10th seed, win two games in the play-in tournament, and go to the championship. Sure, it's worth being worried about it. Uh, this title feels very open right now. You can talk yourself into eight or nine teams. That's why I think the Nuggets definitely still got to be considered in the mix because Jokic, like you're saying, Ben, he's having a season that once we're a few years removed from this, we're going to be like, this guy's at 26 a game, 11 rebounds, eight and a half assists, basically 50, 40, 90 from the field as well. Incredible stuff. Not dissimilar to Dirk Nowitzki, 2011, where he's just on fire for an entire season. That continues into the playoffs. We saw it last year. We've seen it in previous playoffs as well. 
Jokic is a clutch player, man. Like, he hits clutch buzzer-beating shots. He can get them over basically anybody, just like Dirk did back in the day. It'll be tough for the Nuggets, no doubt, especially with Murray. You saw that game against the Lakers where I think there was 51 points scored between Jokic and MPJ. They ended up with 83. And that's where you're really, really missing Jamal Murray. When the Mm -hmm. game gets into an ISO situation, Porter's a decent ISO player. Jokic is a good ISO player. But you got to have a guy on the perimeter who's handling the ball and able to break people down. Without Murray, it's going to be tough. But I can see enough driveway dad dirks. Yeah. It's so weird with all these Western Conference teams. I can convince myself they'll lose in the first round, depending on the matchup. And then I uh, can convince myself they'll go to the finals <laughs> because uh, there are a lot of totally. really good teams. Like like you said, the Nuggets are still there. The Jazz, the Suns, the Lakers are one of these teams. Hell, even the Blazers and the Mavericks. And like it just goes on and on and on. The Clippers. I mean, I could see all of those teams, again, depending on who they played, one injury here or there, losing in a first round series. Or going to the finals. Is that crazy, Ben? Is it is it that wide open, like TK saying to you as well? Or is that is it a smaller group of teams? No, typically I'm like a guy who says there's three teams who can really yeah. win the title in any given year, right? But this year you've got the Lakers with the injury, not only for LeBron, but Anthony Davis has been kind of up and down since he's been coming back. And the energy level there has been a little bit uh, you know, concerning, I would say, for some Lakers fans. But also the Harden injury with Brooklyn. You know, I would take Brooklyn pretty uh, comfortably if they were at full strength in the East, but... Right now, I think you've got to say all three of the teams in the top East have a real shot to win that conference. So I do think it's completely wide open. And I think in part, it's, it's a bubble hangover. Effect, right? You had short off seasons. You had you know weird off seasons where guys weren't maybe able to do their typical thing to go away and, and come back. You didn't have the real ramp up for the young players. So teams were trying to figure it out earlier in the year. And you also had just guys in and out of lineup constantly with these yeah. health protocol uh, violations and contact tracing. So for sure, it's been a, a much more unpredictable season. And you can look at that two ways. You could say, hey, I love the chaos. This is really fun. Or you could kind of snub your nose at it and be like, well, this doesn't really quite feel like a typical normal real season, especially with no fans in the building. I'm kind of a traditionalist. I've been a little bit let down by the quality of play during this regular season. But I think the last couple of weeks, it's definitely stepped up as teams have gotten into these chases for the playoff spots. And so personally, I'm expecting a really competitive, really intense really unpredictable uh, you know, postseason, uh, for sure. And I, I think that the fact that they have to travel again and go through those typical things will actually, again, just add another element that we didn't see in the bubble where guys just got into these grooves and the best players were able to kind of win out. I think, you know, getting back into this normal situation after a tough year, it, it's more of a leveling factor. And a lot of teams can talk themselves into having a shot. I, I do think it's eight or nine teams. I probably have five in the West, three in the East. So you guys have yeah. that. That's eight, right? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, Hold but uh, just to confirm here, you're not including the Hawks because I just dropped 40K on a couple of bets. Uh, <laughs> no. uh, I'm feeling a little nervous here. Now, we got some charities. I mean, there's probably some good fishing charities out there in Georgia that could have used that That's money, right. Trey. Come on now. You know? yeah, uh, yeah. Also, Ben, just to confirm, you're saying that like the Phoenix Suns, as great as seasons they've had, could be vulnerable against the team like the Lakers in that first round simply because outside of Chris Paul, you know, Aiton and Devin Booker of those guys have never been to the playoffs. Is that, is that what you say? I just want to know this because I've said that a few times. Suns fans are going to come at you. They're going to come at you hard. They, they, they want you basically saying they're going to win Look, the championship. Bring it on. I've actually been impressed by the Phoenix Suns media. Look, I know there's going to be some wing nuts on the internet who are like, we're the best team in the league. Chris Paul for MVP. I get that. All right. You guys have your day. You've certainly earned it after 11 years of, you know, playoff uh, absences. And let's not even go down the track record of the Marquise Chris era and the Dragon era. We don't need to bring up old wounds. But I've actually been impressed by the composure from the Phoenix media and people I've talked to down there because 
they're just riding high on this dream season. Chris Paul storms into town, makes everybody look better. It's a completely different organization almost from top to bottom compared to two years ago in, in terms of how functional it's been. And I think that there is a, a desire not to get ahead of themselves, at least in some, some of the conversations that I've had. And I think that's the right mentality because, look, there is absolutely no shame if you get the worst draw, you get that landmine first-round series against the Lakers and LeBron comes through and you know puts up crazy playoff LeBron numbers. Like That doesn't miss a bad season. This has been mm. a completely incredible season. To me, Phoenix and New York are the two biggest quote-unquote overachievers or teams that um, surprised me more than anybody else. And so like some people might say, oh, if they lost in the first round, that would be a disaster. Absolutely not. I feel like this about this Suns team, like I did about the Nuggets a couple of years ago. Do you remember when Jokic first got into the playoffs and they were like a really trendy upset pick I think that San Antonio in the first round? They barely survived that series, but that's kind of how I feel about Phoenix too. Um, let's keep in mind, it's the questions don't just start with their role players. They start with Chris Paul. I mean, this is a guy who's going to have to handle more minutes in the postseason, heavier load. He's going to need to continue to execute in late-game situations when defenses are ramped up. And he's generally hit the wall, you know, by the second round, you know, uh, usually uh, in his career with one exception, making the conference finals in Houston. So uh, he's got a lot to prove as well. But I, I think he's had an amazing season. I put him all NBA second team. I was one of those guys screaming that he had to be an all-star, even though his numbers weren't that great early this year. And I don't want to take away anything from them. But, uh, you know, look, that's your lot in life. You've got to prove it. It's OK. And, and Phoenix Suns, if you guys do if prove it. The fans will get to dance on the internet. That's how this game works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. And back to, uh, before we move on to a couple other games, just to the LeBron comments about his ankle, because I thought that was interesting. Jake in the stream team, he writes in, everything LeBron says to the media is so calculated. He's just setting the table for another. Can he still do it? Run in the playoffs. And that's all it is. Jake might be right. There could be some truth to that because those comments, TK, about the ankle, we're a little weird. Like basically saying, uh, like I'm, I'm never gonna be like 100. percent I'm paraphrasing, of course, but like real concern for it. Uh, but is that just LeBron doing a classic, like oh, trying to turn himself somehow into an underdog here? Yeah, exactly. Cause yeah. I feel like LeBron was turning himself into an underdog last season too by saying. It's a major problem for the one seed to have to sit and wait for this play-in tournament to be done so we can play our first-round playoff series. There's always something. The guy knows how to play the games, and maybe his ankle is bugging him because, you know, this isn't a guy that ever misses time. He actually sat out for a long, long time, so surely he's dealing with a longer healing recovering process. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, it's crazy to think back that people really thought LeBron was slowing down in the playoffs last year. And they're going to get tricked into it again. I think LeBron is going to be fine this time Come again. Okay, we'll find out. All right, two more games from last night. The Grizzlies overcome Anthony Edwards' huge night, and they climb back into the eighth seed. That's Memphis going up there. few questions off this game for you, Ben. One, where do you stand with the rookie of the year race? You know, Anthony Edwards' buckets in April obviously improved. The Wolves actually somewhat of a half-decent team, you know, like a 500-like team after a brutal start to the season. Has Edwards done enough here with LaMelo Ball missing time there? I know he's back now to sort of to sort of snatch that ROI from him, or do you still have LaMelo as the front runner, Or is there, are you still waiting to even fill out your ballot? I haven't made my official pick yet, but I, I think I'm probably leaning LaMelo. I was actually given a lot of consideration to Tyrese Halliburton in Sacramento because I thought he had an awesome season and maybe it went a little bit overlooked i think with anthony edwards the problem for me was just so inefficient and such a big defensive liability earlier in this season for months and months that like 
the strong scoring push here at the end just feels a little bit too much like recency correction. So uh, when we're looking at LaMelo's overall impact, all season long change in their culture, really to be Charlotte a boost, I think I would probably lean that direction. And I think him coming back down the stretch is going to be able to help him solidify. It just gets his numbers up, gets his games played up. It puts him back in people's minds. But, but um, Anthony Edwards has been ridiculous. I mean, what a game that was last night for him, but also John Morant. I mean, that was a really, really fun game. And I'm just glad that we're seeing games like that because that's the kind of contest, you know, this late season. I mean, you can kind of toss that away if you wanted if you're in Minnesota, but they're trying to build something there after a really injury-plagued season, not having Russell for a lot of the year. And so I'm glad they've been able to generate here a little momentum over the last couple of weeks, you know, relatively speaking, and especially against Utah, which makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. I know they're all laughing about that up in Minnesota, like how they just have the Jazz's number um, in these last couple of weeks. But they need something to build on as they head into this offseason mm-hmm. because they could lose their draft pick. That's going to be a huge body blow if they do. They've got this ownership change situation looming. Obviously, you've got Carl e. Towns. His name's going to be building, I think, these next couple of years in terms of stars who might potentially be available for trade or, or want out. And it's just going to be one of those narratives that picks up uh, the deeper he gets into his contract. So they need causes for hope. Right now, silver linings. And Anthony uh, Edwards has absolutely been that. Yeah, 100% agree. He said John Moran had a great game. 37 points, 10 assists. He had been Ooh. struggling over the last little bit, too. So he, he needed a monster game like that. He said recently he's a top five NBA point guard. And nope. look, nope. these guys are. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> I love uh, well, John. I was about I love to say, John. like, these guys are superstars. And when they're asked these things, it's like, what do you expect them to say? No or something like that. Okay. But uh, you are saying, okay, John Morant, you're great. You're young. You're talented. You're on your way, maybe, to getting into that group, but not yet. Slow your roll. Is that what you're saying, Ben? Do not try to paint me as a John Moran hater. I love this guy. I just okay. think, you know, I can say I'm top four on this show right now because there's four people, right? <laughs> if there was... oh, that's a, I don't know. We got JD in the yeah, back. Jay, oh, my team. bad. All right, all right, all right. I'm top five on this show right now, okay? Um, if there was only five point guards in the league, we'd call him top five. But there, come on. You guys know that's not true. It's good to have goals, though. He's going to get there. I mean, I think he's going to be an all-star next season. Uh, but come on now. Let's just – you don't have to do that. You don't have to get it proactive. I like the idea of speaking things into existence though for sure i think positive um reinforcement self-talk is really really actually helpful get you through a challenging season like this he had the injury early they've been in dogfights man they've been playing tough games and they're a really really uh strong-willed team i think taylor jenkins the most underrated coach in the league if bud gets fired in milwaukee man they need to go grab taylor jenkins i don't know if that's legal but they should do that (laughs) that that would be my move yeah, well, look, we can figure it out. I mean, they didn't get busted for that Bogdan thing, so maybe be careful, yeah. Milwaukee, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I like what Memphis is building. It's been tough without Jaron because those two guys fit so well together, mm-hmm. and he's gotten back here a little bit. He hasn't really been the same guy. You can't expect that no. this late in the season, but you know, circle Memphis for next year in terms of being a legit playoff team, in my opinion. Uh, Lee, you would have been happier, I assume, with John Morant saying, instead of he's a top five NBA point guard right now, that he's maybe on the list, the top five list of must-watch guys oh, in yeah. the league. Because you, uh, you know, you're always clipping his uh, highlights and getting them up on Twitter. And I've said it before, too. I think he is on the short list of guys I would pay a lot of money to go sit courtside if I could yeah. and to watch her because I think he's that much fun. But you don't have him a uh, top five point guard yet. Is that fair? No, really? no. no not yet. I mean, he, he's kind of probably more consistent than you think he is. But, uh, yeah, I just – I mean, when you're thinking like Steph and Dame and those sort of guys, he's not in that 
group just yet, but there's no question that he could get there. Um, you know, and I've made the comparison, Ben, uh, you know, I'm not sure what you think about this, is he kind of has that sort of Kyrie Irving-like ability to finish around the rim, you know, either hand, his body sort of falling, it looks like he's lost control, but then all of a sudden he switches hands and he, he's able to finish around the rim. I think that's very important for a young guy to be able to do that because that shot it's not the prettiest shot uh, that he's got in the world. And he, he didn't really hit one outside the paint until late in the game there last night. So that, I think, is the biggest area of his game that he needs to improve is, like, to have a consistent, reliable mid-to-deep-range shot. It doesn't have to be the threes like Steph or Dame Lillard, but it's almost like a Chris Paul. You know, that that when Chris Paul gets to his spot, you know that's going in. And I, I just don't think Jar Morant has, has uh, got that in his bag yet. But again, he's only in his second season. Chris Paul couldn't really shoot in his first couple of seasons. Tony Parker... Derek Rose, you know, takes time. So I, I think he's Jason got all. Kidd. Yeah, yeah, I think he's anyway. got all the tools in the, in his uh, kit. But like everybody, he just needs to uh, grow and, and mature his game. But um, certainly, as far as uh, league pass TV, if he's not playing, it's hard to watch the Grizzlies. I think. Oh, you don't like Jonas Valanciunas putting up those big beefs, Lee? <laughs> yeah. Come on, you hey, know he's you been like great. That There's no doubt. Kind of game. There's no doubt Valanciunas has been uh, exceptionally good for the uh, for the Grizzlies this season, and th- and they need him if they are going to make any noise in the playoffs at all because he just he's been really throwing his weight around this season like a big strong gorilla out there, you know. He's just like really really uh, tough. So I think I think he's been a great story too in Memphis, but um, you know Morant is the one that uh, makes them must watch TV. You say he doesn't need a three. I kind of disagree. Uh, he's at 30% right now. And to really be a top five point guard, you've got you've to shoot like 35 to 37% at the minimum. Otherwise, he's going to become John Wall. He's going to become the next John Wall, an incredible end-to-end player, a guy who can get to the rim all the time. And John Wall definitely, I would say, was a top five point guard or at least on the edges of that, you know, somewhere five to ten for sure. But yeah. he was never able to become a one, two, or three point guard in the league. And that's where Ja is right now to me. It's uh, We just talked to Seth Part now. He told us 20 points per game is really 23 points per game these days. Ja is not at 20 points per game yet. He's right. got to get at least to 23 or to 10 assists per game. Like there are some benchmarks he can hit here to really move up the rankings. Yeah, I would just real, real quick. My point on Ja is, you know, I don't judge him as much by his scoring compared to a lot of point guards because he's so good operating, facilitating in the half court. He's great at keeping his dribble alive, breaking you down off the dribble, finding the open shooters. And when you look at their scoring distribution as a team, it's so balanced. And so I definitely think he has a lot of room to grow as a scorer. And I, I totally agree. Three-point shot is going to be really important for him. But in terms of in- assessing him right now, I actually think his impact on games night-night is actually pretty consistent and pretty high because he's so good at orchestrating it and just kind of getting wherever he wants on the court. He's so slippery. And he has a really, really advanced feel for a player of his age in terms of where do you find shooters, how do you draw defensive attention, and how do you find them. I think so many people focus on the crazy missed dunks and the levitating layups. And, like, I mean, this guy is an incredible highlight player, but he's not just a highlight player, right? Like, he's out there playing the right way, playing at a very high IQ style. And so that's part of the reason why I love him. And I do think there's a lot of room for him to grow really, really quickly. I think he's going to become a more consistent shooter in the next couple of seasons, but uh, he's special at this point in his career already. He also does have like those leadership qualities you especially want in a point guard for being really, really young still in the league. It just feels like that's his team. Everybody on the Grizzlies knows that. You know, they follow his lead. Yeah, he can get better. He knows he can get better, and he's got to work on some facets of his game. But in terms of just being the face of a franchise and the leader of like a locker room, already like 
has that down pat. Like that's sort of where the Chris Paul comparisons to me, you do see like he had that as a young, young player in the league. There's just like whatever reason, some of these guys just demand that respect. They're the, the biggest voice in the room. But Well, let me ask you, is he top five coolest players in the league? I would say yes. I mean, he seems he's like close. one of the he's, very he's coolest cool. players in the entire league. So if he wants to yeah. give him that title, I'll give it to him. <laughs> All right. All right. And finally here, uh, I'm just uh, going to throw some Eastern Conference games. Now, I know we have a Western Conference elitist here in Ben uh, Gulliver. He probably doesn't even watch these East games. Uh, but anyway, we had Joel Embiid going for 34 points in three quarters. So 76ers beat the Rockets. We had the Bucks edging the Wizards. Close game, 135-134 to earn their fourth straight victory. And then Kemba Walker returned from injury. He scored 32 as the Celtics whipped the Magic, but they jumped up to sixth. So, from all of those games, I'm going to show everybody here on the stream team the playoff picture right now. And the question, Ben, is which potential playoff matchup has you most hyped? And, uh, you know, you can start with the East and we can go to the West, too, if you want. But, like, if it, if, if it stayed like this here, uh, again, Thursday, May 6th, it won't. But if it stayed like this, you know, which one intrigues you most? Well, I would go Milwaukee, Boston, just because I love watching Giannis punk the Celtics. I mean, that is just always entertaining. I mean, we, <laughs> like he, he had to pay his dues earlier in his career to get through Boston. But I mean, that Kyrie Irving series where he was trying to defend Giannis was just such a funny meltdown. And, you know, Boston's interior core hasn't been the greatest this season. But they're playing better here, you know, as a team yep. over the last month. So there'd be some intrigue there. It's just tricky not knowing who's going to come out of those play-ins. I would love to see Brooklyn, Washington. I think a lot of people would love that one. Probably can't happen, unfortunately. Um, but uh, that's where I'm standing right now. What about you guys? Yeah, go ahead, Trey. Which one uh, has your eye the most? Well, I'm with you, Ben. I think that uh, Bucks versus Boston looks like it would be a jewel of the first round, especially because it's uh, it's got some history, but it's fresh, right? We had Clippers versus the Mavericks last year. We had Nuggets versus Lakers last year. I guess the Knicks-Hawks will be exciting as well, but those are, you know, middle card teams, whereas coming into the season... The Bucks and the Celtics were certainly considered at least title contenders. Definitely Boston has fallen off at this point, but they've also made three Eastern Conference Finals in the past four years. If this was the early 2000s Pistons, that would be an accomplishment. <laughs> People don't care about that right now. It feels like the Celtics are falling apart this season, more so than building towards something, but if they were able to somehow pull off an upset against the Bucks, super unlikely. Uh, gonna need a huge series from Robert Williams in that one. Good luck. Uh, but if the Celtics were able to do that, you would see some drama, no doubt, in Milwaukee. There would be, I think, either team that loses that series, Bucks or Celtics, are going to have a lot of questions to answer come the offseason. Yeah, that's probably the case. Is that a difficult series for you, Ben? Because you got your guy Tatum that you love so much, and then you've got Giannis and Giannis Inc. as uh, you're on the board for them. Uh, there's some difficulty in that. No, that's pretty one-sided. Um, you know, look, oh, we're trying okay. to we're trying to build Giannis's reputation back up here. It was kind of a tough blow for our company, Giannis Inc. during last year's uh, postseason. Here's the thing: Giannis struggled being labeled as the favorite. You know, they really felt the burden. I think of that expectations coming out last se- uh, regular season. They were so so good. The series I want to see more than any other in the entire playoff bracket is actually Milwaukee-Brooklyn, and it's looking like that's going to take place in the second round. I mean, that is just so juicy. You've got Giannis versus KD. When Giannis was growing up, he'd watch tape of KD and see this skinny guy on the YouTube and say, wow, maybe I could play the NBA like him someday. You know, KD is this pure shooter. Giannis more of a physical player trying to develop that shot. Um, you've got big market, small market, the ring chasers versus the loyal guy and Giannis. 
You've also got, you know, the, the glitz of Brooklyn and the schlitz of Milwaukee. So that's a nice little matchup, you know, glitz versus schlitz. Um, I, I, figured my, uh, I figured my Midwest guy, Trey, might like that one. So these stories write themselves. Major. We need this matchup. And so I got to have Giannis get through Boston first so we could see the really good stuff, right? Yeah. And, like, who are you favoring in the Eastern Conference right now, Ben? I mean, Philly... That's big, having the number one seed. And they got an easy schedule from here on out. So they really, that's theirs for the taking. If they just like take care of business against a lot of these crappy teams that they have left on their schedule. Um, but is it still the Nets to you, despite not having you know their big three playing a whole lot together? What is it, seven games still? Is it obviously the Bucs uh, who maybe without, with lowered expectations, that actually helps them in a weird way? Now with Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday helping out. You know, it's like, who's the favorite to you to come out of there? If it is... Philly won, and then, you know, hypothetically a Bucks nets in a second round. So I predicted the James Harden trade to the Nets about two months in advance, and I gave myself the nickname the Oracle from Oregon because of that. Now, look, that's <laughs> a little tacky, I understand, but I think I have to be all in with the Brooklyn Nets on this. I will be James Harden's last defender. Even if he goes down in flames yep. again this year's postseason, I'm going to come right back next year and say, no, it's going to be fine. He'll be able to turn it around. I just think that their talent presents so many matchup issues for both Philly and Milwaukee, right? I mean, Milwaukee looked great against Brooklyn. Giannis, in particular, looked incredible against Brooklyn this past week. But the trick is, when you're inserting Harden, and now you've got to match up with him with, like, a Dante DiVincenzo or a Pat Connaughton, or you've got to use a lot of Drew Holiday on him defensively, now all of a sudden it's going to be a lot more opportunities for Kyrie Irving, and, and he's had his uh, success against Milwaukee as well. So... To me, I just think it's three tough covers for them. I like Brooklyn's depth. I think that they were also rope-roping on defense against Giannis. I think that they were trying to play him in single coverage, make him confident, dare him to shoot. And then they're going to show him more advanced schemes once they get to the playoffs, and, and he'll probably you know have to adjust to that. So to me, I like Brooklyn over Milwaukee in that series. And then Philly, they still need to prove it to me. I think it's probably because I was up close and personal watching their meltdown, their flameout in the bubble. But that was pretty humiliating, man. I mean, four games straight, they were out so quickly. Tatum completely outplayed Embiid um, in that series, even though Embiid got his numbers. I mean, the, the impact stuff really favored Boston's wings. So um, I'm still in the skeptical of Doc Rivers, skeptical of Embiid, skeptical of Simmons, skeptical of Tobias Harris camp. And I would love to be proven wrong because it would be an amazing turnaround story for that group. But I think Brooklyn's offense is just so much better than Philly's especially in kind of playoff situations that uh, I'm still going to take the Nets. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Well, let's talk a little bit about that bubble. I've showed it a couple times here on the show. Ben Gulliver's Bubble Ball. You can go get this now inside the NBA's fight to save a season. 
you obviously get this thing on Amazon because you can buy everything on Amazon. But I highly encourage you to go check your, uh, you know, your local bookstore and support them if you can. Uh, ben, first question with this. I just want to know, like, sort of how it came about, what inspired you to write it. And, like, really, when did you decide you were going to write this? Like, th- was this something you knew, like, before going to the bubble, midway through the bubble? Like, talk me through that. Before I answer that, I need to tell you a story about a near-death experience. Is that okay? Absolutely. So I was walking around in my bird park about two months ago, and you guys were discussing Jared Dudley's bubble book. Um, you know, you, it was, you were talking, oh, it's only 40 pages long. I think Skates, you were kind of making fun of that. You asked, J, you asked JD, would you read the bubble book? And he's like, heck no, I'm not going to read a 40-page book. He was really going off. And then Jay, he called it like a PDF attachment or something. Like that. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. He was going hard on Jared Dudley's book. And this is typical JD, right? Because anytime basketball comes up, <laughs> it's like, he's the last guy who's ever going to be positive. And then Skeets, you made my heart stop. You made my blood turn cold. I almost fell over because you threw it back to JD. And you said, well, you know, Ben Golliver's got a bubble ball book coming out. Are you going to read bubble ball? And I'm just in there thinking I have put my the last year of my life into this book. Blood, sweat, and tears. You're now asking a guy who hates basketball, even though he's been doing a basketball show for 15 years. I've been listening to you guys since you were in the pool room at your apartment building, right? I've heard JD say maybe three or four positive things about basketball in this entire time. And JD came through in the clutch like John Paxson with the finals winning shot. And JD says out of nowhere, oh, I'm looking forward to Ben's book. And here's the thing, J.D., I don't care if you were lying. I appreciate it so much. I was so worried about trying to build buzz for this book. I was so paranoid you were going to be like, yeah, I mean, 300 pages about the bubble, whatever. The fact that you were at least able to fake the excitement about it, it meant so much to me. I know you guys do. You guys do like weekend winners and losers or worst of the week, best of the week. J.D. was the best of the year. Please put a banner up because he brought me back to life. I was sitting there scared out of my mind that he was about to kill my entire promo cycle <laughs> well i'm happy to uh, happy to hear that jd was on board jd's gonna read it i just finished it so jd i'll uh, obviously get this in your hands next it's fantastic jd will you be reading this i will be reading it but i'm <laughs> okay. gonna go buy it man i gotta go down oh, to my good. local bookstore to pick it up and uh yeah, it'll be the first. No, it'll be the second basketball book I've ever read. Uh, what was the I, first one? Uh, Ethan Sherwood Strauss's book. All right, respect. You're in El- the victory machine. Elite Company, JD. Don't forget Mother's Day, Father's Day coming up. <laughs> yeah. You know, so you can get as many copies as you need. Yeah. Uh, just to answer your question, yeah. Tour. I've been waiting to tell you guys that story since it uh, happened. I swear, like the blood went rushing out of my face at moments. Um. Uh. So I, I went down to the bubble terrified about the health stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, I was talking to all these different doctors trying to get myself in the right spot. So the, a book was like the last thing on my mind. I was just thinking like, how long are we going to be down there? What's going on? As soon as I got down there, there was just so much interest. I mean, you guys are always putting those goofy videos of myself walking back and forth and in the hotel room during the quarantine mm-hmm. period and all that. And it was just like intense interest. Within a couple of weeks, I heard from an agent and a, a publishing company was interested in the idea. So I scrambled together a pitch and within about i think three weeks of being down there we had kind of the agreement in place so from there on i knew look this is going to be something that you're working on but i made a a deal with my bosses at the post basically don't write it until you're out of the bubble right focus all your efforts on covering the bubble for the newspaper which um turned out to be great because you know that gave me a real living record of everything that was happening while i was going so i could look back on my stories my tweets the videos and pictures that i took and all of it 
And then once I actually got out of the bubble, I took one week off and then pretty much just wrote for two months straight about five hours every single day to get this thing together in, in sort of the, the first manuscript. And um, of course, there was an editing process after that as well that went into January and February. And, and we were so glad to get it out before the playoffs just tried to like tee it up, you know, for this postseason. But um, it's been a total labor of love. I think ultimately it's kind of a time capsule for one of the craziest years that we've all lived through. I don't know about you guys. I think 2020 was the biggest NBA season that I covered, period. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're looking at Hong Kong controversy, Kobe Bryant's tragic death, David Stern's death, the shutdown, the pandemic, and this crazy, you know, Disney World restart proposal. I mean, this is the most memorable year I've been, you know, doing it ever since I started in 2007. So it felt like the right time to write the book. And I was just, you know, let's be honest, like neck deep in the bubble. I, I threw my entire heart and soul into it. And, uh, I felt like that was the right mentality uh, for a book project like this, where you're really getting all the nitty gritty. You're touching on all the different storylines, whether it's business, um, social justice, activism, the presidential politics of it, of course, the basketball of it, which is the centerpiece of the book, um, and as well as the business side for the NBA, too. Yeah, I will say I've read more basketball books than JD's, too. And what impressed me most, because of what you just said, this is like four or five books in one because of all the different things, the social activism, the actual basketball itself, the health and safety protocols of it all. I mean, you put a lot of yourself into this, Ben, too, which I thought was really cool. It's like you're not just like as like as like a um, stand back sort of like taking it all in. Like you really like are talking like sometimes very personally about the effects that the bubble was having on you and what else was happening, of course, in America at the time. Um, so kudos to you. I just think the the structure of this was really impressive, just the way you laid it out, because I think with all that stuff, it can get very, very quickly too jumbled and confusing. You did an unbelievable job on that. So I'm sure, well, you talked about it like that was a conscious decision there to like, okay, try and make this like as clear as possible. Like there will be like one chapter on the Milwaukee Bucks, like boycott. And I thought that was a fantastic chapter. I want to do a little deeper dive on that, but awesome work on it, man. Cause that is a lot of stuff happening. Like you said, over the span of a couple months in the bubble and then in America at that time. And you laid it out brilliantly, I think. I had a couple of goals. I mean, I really wanted to humanize the players and, you know, they would talk a lot about how challenging it was. And people would say, oh, come on millionaires in Disney World getting play, uh, paid to play a kid's game, how cut, tough could it be? And so I wanted to put myself in on that spot and say, look, I'm not even playing these games. I'm just down there writing. But I put on weight. I was sleeping terribly. My anxiety was up. Mm-hmm. I was feeling isolated from my parents, the outside world. It was hard. Like, And I thought I was mentally prepared. I talked to a whole bunch of doctors before I went down there to kind of get myself focused for what it was going to be like. It was just really, really tough grinding experience day after day, no let up. You know, it was complete sensory overload. Now, that was the challenging side. The flip side, and the second point that I wanted to get across is like, look, I got the golden ticket here. This was Willy Wonka's basketball factory. You know, like (laughs) everyone would like to be able to see every single playoff game from a courtside seat like Rihanna or Jack Nicholson up close and personal hearing the trash talk. I mean, some of these days I would see eight Hall of Famers over the course of eight hours, right? I mean, it's just absolutely nuts. And as I point out in the book, I went to every playoff game from the second round on. So I was able to cover every single series as it was going. So you guys can imagine Jimmy Goldstein with a private jet. In a normal <laughs> year, even Jimmy Goldstein can't get to every single playoff game. It's logistically impossible. So it was this amazing, once-in-a-kind, efficient opportunity from a coverage standpoint. And so again, I was in my mind, I was doing it for all the diehard basketball fans out there. And I know you guys have a ton of them listening to you, but it was sort of like, look, I was the one who happened to win the lottery to go down to this thing. So I'm going to try to 
tell that story to the world for, you know, the basketball fans who are diehards now, but maybe also the fans who come along in 10, 15, 20 years who are like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. LeBron won a title in Disney World. How did that happen? Yeah. Why did that happen, right? I want to make sure that kind of got documented for history. You know what I mean? Yeah. Did you, did you find it though? Uh, you know, you have you're so close to everything, and, and you know the the media there is basically only the media that was allowed in. But you weren't actually allowed to go up to the players during shootarounds and practices. Is that right? I, I remember that was one of the things. It was basically there was a wall between still the players and the media. So in that sense. Even though you were so close, how much more difficult and challenging was it for you to do your normal sort of job and getting little tidbits of information and having those little um, extra conversations that you don't necessarily make it into your articles and, and, and when you're covering the games? Well, I would say they tried to create a bubble within the bubble to protect the players as much as possible. But I would also say compared to what we've done this year with the virtual interviews, the access down there was so much better because you could use all your senses. You can watch, you can listen you can observe. And so, you know, I, we could watch them practice for sure. We were able to get one-on-one uh, sit-down interviews. I had a long interview with Rudy Gobert in the book where I thought mm-hmm. he was very reflective and candid about his experience. And you know, that was a situation where we could sit down after practice. And so there was, you know, relatively access there, but they did want to keep it confined to the official time periods, right? right? What they didn't want was like us going to the restaurant, stumbling, you know, there's like one restaurant down there, right? Stumbling <laughs> on the Lakers and then be like, hey, how are you guys doing? And like bothering the coaches like, oh man, what's your game four adjustment going to be like? They wanted to kind of, you know, protect the players' privacy to a certain degree and then just give them some time off. So they didn't feel like they were constantly being, uh, you know, kind of bombarded with interview yeah. requests because you know how that'd go, right? Like if you see LeBron riding a bicycle around Disney World, you're probably going to flag him down and be like, hey, man, there were two points last night. How do you yeah. know? You know like, oh, that's why so, there was no way they would ever let Lee Ellis in the bubble. My God. <laughs> can you imagine? You would uh, be such a pest. Nah, yeah, I, I would be bothering him for questions. I'd just be seeing if I can go out and have a few shots with him on the court. Yeah, you know? well, You've yeah, got to get a shot up if you can. Yeah, because <laughs> there anything. Oh, I was going to say, go don't ahead. forget, they, they used to, you know, clean the courts completely so you would not be allowed to shoot because then they'd have to go disinfect the basketball and the rim yeah. and the backboard and everything else so yeah i mean you uh your dreams are going to be dashed pretty quick in the bubble on that one is there anything ben that sticks out to you along the lines of you know just seeing lebron ride a bicycle by that you're like okay i will never see something like this happen again like something that stands out to me that i'm always going to remember from the bubble that has like zero influence on the bubble is Ben Simmons catching that bass and trying to throw it back and he can't even get it to the water. Like it bounces off the thing uh, into the lake. Um, So is there anything like that that you're like, this is so weird. This is so weird to be seeing this happening and I'm thrilled that I'm actually here. 100%, it was the mailroom guys. I want you to picture a giant Costco sized facility only for millionaires, right? So I'd imagine you've got 350 NBA players who are stuck in Disney World away from the comforts of home with basically unlimited spending power, right? So I would go down there every day and just tour around and be like, what the heck are these guys even buying? There would be pallets of flat screen televisions, giant extra, extra large mattresses, arcade games, 10 foot tall basketball hoops, every type of exercise equipment imaginable. There were Peloton bikes when they were basically sold out in the, across the country because of the pandemic, just sitting there collecting dust because, you know, whosoever it was was like, oh, what a hassle. I don't even really want to send somebody to get up for me. So we're all sitting there thinking like, well, because it was like a Sixers Peloton bike. We're like, well, after they're eliminated, like, you think maybe we could just borrow that for the next month or two? Yeah. Just kind of yeah. sneak that into our room. Um, on top of that, though, 
there was an unbelievable treasure trove of cleaning supplies. So back at the time, you could remember you couldn't order anything off Amazon, uh, right? Like all yeah. the disinfecting wipes all sold out everywhere. It was the Fort Knox of Clorox. I mean, I'm talking like <laughs> 10 feet tall Clorox wipes stacked up probably 60 feet long. I would say $100,000 worth of Clorox wipes maybe as just a rough estimate, just sitting there waiting for us to you know use them over the course of multiple months. I mean, there was liquor, cigars, all the kind of stuff that people would order. And I just kept thinking in my mind, like, where else in the world would you have this kind of a concentration of Amazon deliveries? Because the UPS truck would roll up, unload every package for the bubble, and then go back to the depot. Like, every package in the entire truck was for the bubble, right? We're talking hundreds of thousands of packages over the course of the summer, millions of dollars of value, of course. And, like, you know, again, we're, I mean, even Buckingham Palace, right? They're not going to get that much loot. <laughs> right. The Kardashians, like, imagine, like, the centers of, you know, Jeff Bezos's house, right? All these people are not going to be spending as much money on a daily basis as 350 NBA players who are trapped at Disney World. So it was just crazy, man. I yeah, can just imagine the queen scrolling her Amazon app just like, oh, damn Clorox, right? you know, the queen. Yeah. Queen on a Peloton bike. Uh, somebody do the Photoshop. Uh, ben, what was your, what's your personal favorite chapter uh, from this book? And again, it's a lot longer than Jared Dudley's. This is a good 300-page book. This is a real book, Dudley, not that 40-page crap. Uh, but what's your favorite chapter? Um, the Bucks chapter. I think you mentioned it earlier. But yeah. I tried to go through that minute by minute. I wanted it to sort of be like a TikTok, you know, the old school newspaper TikTok account, not the new app TikTok where everybody's dancing. <laughs> and, um, I just wanted that to be beat by beat because that was history, right? That was the front page of the newspaper. That was every, um, you know, news, uh, nightly news show. I mean, they had stopped the sports world. All these other athletes were getting in on the protest afterwards. So I take you from like the build up to the night before with Doc Rivers and some of his comments about race relations, the players' immediate reactions to the Jacob Blake uh, police shooting, and then, of course, the day of when the Bucks just don't show up on the court. Everybody's super confused. I'm kind of like eavesdropping and peeking into the Orlando Magic locker room. I can see Vucevic looking back at me like, what the heck is going on? We have no idea. No one knows what's happening. And then just have everything unfolded. It was a good old-fashioned steak, man. We were outside that locker room for a solid three hours. Guys were coming in and out, going to the bathroom because there was no private bathroom in the locker room. So that added an element of weirdness to it and just unpredictability in terms of, you know, these guys trying to figure out what they wanted to say to the world. And then yeah. that led to a, a three-day shutdown where, they, you know, the players are calling Obama, Michael Jordan's getting involved, and they're trying to put the whole thing back together. So to me, I needed that part to be as detailed as possible because there should be an official account of how that went down and hopefully I accomplished that goal. Oh, you absolutely did. It's by far my favorite chapter in the book. Uh, and it's cool. Like, am I mistaken, Ben, that you were literally the first, at least in the sports world, the NBA world, to sort of break what was happening because you write about it. Like you were there at this game, uh, this Bucks magic game where a lot of your other reporters are like, well, we'll come to the later games, more important games. I think it was the Lakers had one right that night. And like, you're sort of like one of very few people there and you figured out what the heck's going on here because where are the Bucks? Why aren't they out here? And then, yeah, you're back into the hallway or that holding pen, like you called it, trying to break this story. Like you were tweeting it out. Like, am I crazy to think that like, you sort of broke that news? Well, there were, yeah, there was three writers who were at the game, and I think that all of us were trying to be careful to not overstate what they were doing because, like, yeah. in the moment, it's like, you know, maybe they're just coming out late. Maybe they're having a team meeting. So I was kind of trying to break it bit by bit to make sure it was completely accurate. So, like, hey, your Orlando Magic ha uh, have taken the court, but the Bucks have it, right? Then the Bucks are not coming out of their locker room. And then we get kind of, you know, confirmation not too long after that that 
just what because of a protest reasons. You didn't want to ascribe a protest to them if they weren't actually doing it. And yeah. they were not trying to broadcast it in those immediate moments, right? Uh, instead, they were in the locker room just kind of working through these feelings. So, yeah, it was really interesting because they had shuttle buses, right, um, coming between the hotels where the media stayed and the arena. And there was three writers there when the game started. And by the, the end of the stakeout, I think every single media member who was in the bubble had all come over on those shuttles sort of like 30 minutes at a time to kind of get in on what was obviously a huge story. And by the end of it, it was the biggest media pack that I had seen at any single point uh, because everybody involved, whether it was NBA TV, TNT, ESPN, every writer um, all kind of descended on that locker. And it was unforgettable, man. I, I was writing my story on my iPhone, like sending it to my editor from Slack because I didn't want to leave like the, you know, the immediate vicinity of the locker room in case they came out. We thought maybe for a while they were going to try to sneak off to the bus, but there was only one way in and one way out. And I don't think they wanted the optics of them, you know, not yeah. really answering these questions. So, you know, I take it through in that kind of detail. And I think it's a really interesting story. I thought they handled it great, too, by the way. And they put the bubble back together in very pragmatic fashion. I think they deserve credit for that, too. Yeah, absolutely. Did you ever even go to the washroom when you were out there to the bathroom? Or did you just because uh, I said you said like in, in the book, like your phone was dying. And yeah, like it was, you know, you didn't want to go back to even get your computer, yeah. which you had left in the arena because you're like, well, who knows when they're going to come out and talk to the media? I can confirm no restroom for me, Skates. I was uh, wow. I was holding it. Yeah. I mean, that's a very detailed question for you. <laughs> but, yeah. well, I was curious. I mean, you said you're there hours. I mean, I know you like your, uh, what, your iced tea or something like that. Yeah. So. No, we were, we were, look, it was a real stakeout. I mean, there's actually NBA TV video of me and I'm on newspaper deadline. So I'm going like this. I mean, I'm holding my head. I'm freaked out because I don't know if they're going to come out, if I can get this story in. I mean, it right. was a nerve wracking experience to say the least. Um. You wrote in the book, Andy Thompson, who shot a lot of the footage for The Last Dance, uh, was on site there leading another behind-the-scenes project. And I remember that news leaking out, right, that this is being documented. Um, was it the same documentary crew that then caught you getting soaked by LeBron James in Champagne? Okay, you're nodding your head yes. And yeah. Did you do like a sit-down interview with them, or is that in the plans? Like again, I guess in a theory, we're going to see a documentary about this bubble. And uh, the 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 second question to go with that is like this book's release date. Was it important to you to sort of like let's get this out, let's be first with this account because you probably know that there's a documentary eventually coming. Who knows when? And then maybe other people writing about it. Like yeah, how important was that to be first? No, I think it was the publisher's idea to have it come out quickly because they wanted it to feel timely. I mean, it was such a – it captured the imagination of the sports world. And so I think that they didn't want it to come out two years later when people maybe had moved on to whatever's next. And that's natural. I mean, society moves so quickly. I think that they just wanted to be on an accelerated timeline um, in part because they knew this was going to be a book that was going to hold up for a long time. So I do think that there was a, a competitive element to it. Now, me personally, I was just naive. They were like, we want this by May. I was like, cool, let's do it. And then I figured out <laughs> halfway through the writing process, like, wow, that's really aggressive. What did I agree to? But, you know, it all worked out. Um, in terms of the documentary crew, yeah, man, there's going to be some embarrassing footage if they want to include it of me just standing there like a door with my cell phone. No protection whatsoever. No goggles, no poncho, nothing. And LeBron just absolutely unloading an entire bottle of champagne right on my, face, right on my phone. Um, I mean, you guys have seen the pictures. I look like a wet yeah. rat afterwards. Uh, incredible, incredible moment. I had to share the video instantly. It's one of the things I keep hearing about from people almost every day, months later. And so, uh, of course, I had to include that in the book. 
I think it's just very telling, though, because they didn't have a lot of other people to celebrate with, right? I mean, this was not yeah. your typical celebration. There's you know, 200 people in the building. I actually played from more fans when I was in sixth grade on the Beaverton Running Beavers AAU team. What a name, right? <laughs> wow. Uh, Running Beavers. <laughs> out in Eastern Oregon. We, we played these games, right? And, you know, we'd get more fans there than they had for the NBA Finals because of the health protocols. So it was one of those situations where I think everybody was in it together and it's just like whoever is around, you get targeted with the champagne. And it really felt like half New Year's Eve celebration, half college graduation. Because you'll remember Danny Green came and run, running down the hallway and he's screaming, we're free, we're bleeping free. He's not saying <laughs> we won the title. It's we're yeah. free, we get to go home. And that's such a unique experience. It's kind of a double win for the Lakers, right? Oh, so, man, I had forgotten about even the Miami Heat, like, extending this finals a little bit. You know, Jimmy Butler, like, going off in a couple games. I gotta, I'll be completely honest, I forgot this thing went six. I know, you know? I know. I really did. Uh, and you write about, like, a couple of your the reporters, unnamed reporters, that was very kind of you, basically, <laughs> like, after, you know, Jimmy goes nuts in a couple games, extending the inevitable um, of, like, my God, I just want to get the f- out of here like at that point you're 90 plus days in you can understand why someone would think that um but did no, you ever feel that mean, way? Yeah. jimmy made me change my flight twice you know after they yeah. lost the first two games i booked my flight for a sweep and then they won one so i pushed it back for you know until after game five and then they won again and i had to push my flight back again. so that's just the ultimate jimmy butler grinder mode though everybody yeah. else wants to go home everybody else is ready to quit and jimmy and spo are like nope we are going down with this ship no matter how long it takes. And he was completely convinced, by the way, that they were going to still win that series when they were down yeah. 2-0 and all of his teammates were injured. So there's a lot of re- healthy respect for Jimmy Butler in this book. I hope that came across because you know he's a guy I wrote his first cover story for Sports Illustrated in 2015. Just an incredible personal story. And it really, that was the peak of his career, that finals. I mean, to me, that's going to boil Jimmy Butler down better than anybody else could. Everyone else wants to quit and Jimmy's not even considering it. Yeah, yeah. Just but want you to know, work he's... hard and be the man, Ben. That's what we say around here, and that's exactly what the bubble was. We got a great question from Nair uh, in the stream team who says, "Did you have a chance to buy Big Face coffee?" Oh, good question. Oof. No, I, I'm not a coffee guy anymore. Look, I'm too wired enough mm. as it is. I've switched over to black tea. But look, he got a lot of run out of Big Face coffee. There were some great uh, branding opportunities for NBA players in the bubble, and certainly Jimmy took advantage. I also loved, by the way, his ability to break out random high school and college jerseys like Spoh's jersey, Tyler Hero's jersey. He was probably getting that shipped in through the warehouse, guys. You know, that's probably how that (laughs) was. I thought that was so cool and a great example of his leadership. Look, he's been choppy and prickly in certain situations with teammates at, at various points. Everybody knows that. But when he loves you, he loves you deep, right? That's kind of the Jimmy Butler way. And I loved how he showed respect for those guys with those jerseys. Uh, I was just going to say, Ben, you were talking about there, you know, when the celebration's happening, you know, the Lakers have won the championship. Now, you've been to the finals for, for years and years. I've been there. So there's a certain feeling when the season is over, a team celebrating. They're the champions. They've proved it. Did it feel the same way or was it, were you feeling a bit like Danny Green as well, where you're just like, thank God it's over? You know, like it doesn't, I mean, not and certainly not taking anything away from the Lakers. You know, they had to win the championship. So it's a, it's a legit championship, no asterisk there. But did it feel like the end of a season or did it feel like more the end of a journey or something more than just uh, just a championship series win? No, it felt like a, a major accomplishment. Nobody tests positive. There was so much stress coming in on the health side. So not only did they crown the champion, save the season, which is why that's in the, in the subtitle of the book, you know, the fight to save a season. They really did save it, right? Not only did they crown that champion, they got everybody out. 
and it just felt like everybody had done it together. It had been this real collective effort. I think a lot of people down in the bubble almost refer to each other as alumni, right? Um, where you do feel like you're in this club where like you survived. It's almost like uh, a fraternity or a sorority or something like that. It's that sounds a little you know, hokey, but it's true to a degree. And I also think in terms of the celebration, it was definitely different. I mean, LeBron's on FaceTime with his mom. Normally, that's going to be a nice big hug where everybody's crying. And instead, he's got her on right. FaceTime. Just an unbelievable moment where you know, he's asking his mother, are you proud of me? You know, and like, I think everybody can relate to that. I can relate to it. I sent a copy to my of my book to my mom, and she's my number one hater. I mean, she's harder on me than just about everybody. <laughs> and I, I sent her that book. And by the way, I dedicated the book to her and her mother. Yeah. So, you know, I'm trying yeah. to like get into her good graces. And I had the same feeling like, Mom, are you proud? And she's like, of course. I'm, I mean, she gave me the exact same thing Gloria said, which is, of course, I'm, I'm proud. So there's a really nice personal moment there. LeBron was killing it with the cigar, by the way. I mean, so many great photos of him with the cigar. Um, he had the champagne. You know, uh, Markeith Morris running around telling everybody, you know what you can call me? A bleep and bleep and champ, bleep, bleep. You know, like he's just telling everybody like he's arrived. I mean, there's just so many things I'll never forget about that celebration. And it was different than all the rest. But in, in my own opinion, it was the most memorable one I've covered. I've been at every final right. since 2011. I would stack that one up as sort of the best night, quote unquote, just because of all the layers that we're talking about. Yeah, no wonder you're not afraid of the Knicks fans. And if your mom's your biggest hater, I mean, no one, no one can come much harder than your mom. So, I mean, yeah, you're uh, the you're the basketball media John Morant. My first yeah. hater was my dad, is what he said. Prepared him for yeah. all the hot takes coming up. It's obviously working out for you. Uh, you mentioned some great pictures, Ben, and you've talked about uh, you were there for the celebration. Your phone was getting all wet. Luckily, we did get this picture oh, out of the bubble. This. Anthony Davis peeking around. Is this the greatest picture you've ever taken? I know usually it's birds or butterflies, but I really like this one. <laughs> that was my most shared piece of content in the entire bubble, if you can believe that. It was, wow. I mean, it's been everywhere and it's been obviously a meme. I had to turn it into a bookmark. You know, I think I, I might have sent one of those to uh, I was to just UC. about to say, go to me, JD, because uh, I, I was lucky, fortunate to get one of these sent to me by, from Ben there. Um, that's so a funny. damn good bookmark. It's like perfectly, uh, you know, yeah. the vertical uh, aspect of it. So some, it. somehow I actually had to pay Getty Images for the right to my own picture to put it in the book. But it all worked out. So it's in the <sighs> book, too. And it like... To wow. me, that was such a major victory. They had exclusive rights for all photos in the bubble. I think that's sort of how it worked. Oh, but gotcha. For me to be able to get that picture and some of the other pictures I took of like LeBron celebrating and just like even the facilities they were using. Here's what the gym looked like. Here's what the press conferences looked like. To me, that was really important too. Again, from the whole idea of this being a history book in the future, I wanted people to know how weird it was that they took ballrooms that were used for like sales conferences and kind of crappy weddings and turn that into, hey, this is where the Milwaukee Bucks are practicing before the Eastern Conference yeah. Finals, or the, the Eastern Conference second round, right? Yeah, no, you did an unbelievable job, not just with the book, but like we were following you on Twitter like the entire time, and uh, you're good at that stuff, uh, of, of getting all these photos, behind-the-scenes things that people want to see, videos, quirky things like that. Uh, even the, what's your buddy, the... What type of bird was it that you called Mikey? What well, there's it? An Mikey the egret was like my best friend in the egret, bubble. Yeah, I would stalk him almost every day. But don't forget about the Legos, Steve. Don't forget about the Legos. Yeah. Oh, well, oh, no. look, I, oh, maybe no. that's, I was going to wrap this up here soon because we could go for hours talking to you about this book. But I, again, I just want to encourage everybody just to go buy the damn thing and read it yourself. Bubble Ball, it's amazing. Yeah, we had you on... <laughs> I think we said, what, in July, you'd only been there a couple weeks in the bubbles. Yeah. We had you on very, very early on No Dunks. And either at that time or soon after, yeah, there was this talk that you were going to 
be putting together this giant Lamborghini, a green, like neon green Lamborghini Lego set is what I'm getting at here. Like how many pieces? I don't know, a thousand pieces, Ben. So no, no, you no, successfully no. Like, did put it together. Well, it was at least 3,000. You get these numbers right. Three, Fact oh, check. Jesus. Oh, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, my goodness. So you... I mean, like I was spoiled because I read the book, but I know the guys wanted to know, did you put it together? Where is it now? Uh, what's the update on the neon green Lamborghini Lego set? Very positive update for you. Thanks to uh, JD again. <laughs> the MVP, I'm going to break out a little surprise if you guys will bear with me. Are you ready? Oh, 100%. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. oh yes. Oh, I can't wait. Bam. <laughs> wow. 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 That huge. That's sizable. Yeah. yeah, I didn't think it was that big. Well, look, if you guys keep help, help me selling books, I'm going to buy a real one to match, okay? <laughs> but guess uh, what? You've got to put it together, podcast. though. Yeah, guess for what? those I... listening to the podcast, Ben is showing us his uh, gigantic Lamborghini Lego thing that he put together. But wait, there's more. So to celebrate the completion of the book, I had to go Bugatti, guys. <laughs> oh, 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 oh my goodness! Oh, Bam! <laughs> okay, these are cool looking. I mean, so now what do you do with these? These just live in your office? They live on a shelf, I guess. I don't have enough room to store them uh, anymore. But guess what? But wait, there's more. Oh, oh my god! <laughs> this guy never leaves his house. All he does is write books and put together a Lego set. You, you guys never know when World War One might break out again. All right, we got the Spitfires. Here we go. What do you think? <laughs> does a propeller uh, spin there? So Give me these, a spin of the these go up and down a little bit. Yeah, you can twist and this thing goes like that. Yeah. Oh, there we Woo. go. Yeah. yeah, we can fly that thing. All right. Hey, um, hey Ben, uh, while run, like, are you a Star Wars uh, fan at all? I'm not, which is hilarious because the book came out on May 4th, you know, and so it was oh, like... I was going to say, we could hang out with my Legos. Huh? So, Lee, let me ask you, is this an official admission, unconditional surrender by you, that Legos are better than puzzles? Because you and I going back and forth on social media, you were trying to tell me, like, Team Ravensburger and all this nonsense. Yeah. I'm sitting over here like a Danish king. You know, I got more. I, mean, I, can, I can put more sets if you want. We can go all day long. With this is the weirdest, guys, this is the weirdest pissing contest what are you, what are you I've about? ever seen. What are you talking about? What are you... pulling out their giant Legos. Okay, okay, okay. You've seen my Thanos. You've seen my Thanos. But look at this incredible creation, Ben. <laughs> Whoa. Man, LeBron. I'm loving it. Oh, I, I feel LeBron. like this is the wave, you know? Not only are we going to sell books, but Lego stock is going to the moon. Tell <laughs> yeah. everybody on Reddit, hop on on Lego right now. <laughs> yeah, I, look, I've got, to, I've got to admit, Ben, I remember I, we talked about Lego. And I said, uh, like, because I've got a nine-year-old and a four-year-old, so they're big Lego dudes, right? Oh, JD's oh, in it. <laughs> JD's going to pirate ship. What the hell is going on here? <laughs> this is incredible. What a day. But, what a morning. Uh, Oh, oh, Trey, Trey, Trey's gone. Trey's gone. He's going to find another uh, set that he's put together. I will say it is. A, it's a lot of fun to build uh, and and to play with. And you know what? If I was in a bubble situation like that, I'd probably do both. I'd probably have a puzzle, but I'd also because I know as well now when you go down those Legos you got there, like they're pretty complex and they take some while, uh, take some time. So I, I would be in what? for the Lego. Uh, oh, here what, he is. What yeah. is this? This is my Octopod from the Octonauts. I'm <laughs> oh honestly a little bit ashamed to be showing this right now because. Some of the levers broke here. Oh, no. uh, came apart. Ben, I would be curious to know how you actually got your Lambo home. I know you didn't drive it. This how is, did you get a yeah, This is such an embarrassing story. So um, they finally opened up outbound shit to us with like two weeks to go because obviously everybody had to send their stuff home. 
So I had to walk across the entire bubble campus risking face-to-face encounters with NBA stars, coaches, and everybody um, to get over to the shipping department. And then I had to ask them for like $35 worth of bubble wrap, bubble wrap that thing up into the biggest box they possibly had. I shipped it home, and it actually basically made it home in one piece. You'll never believe it. It was wow. a very Ooh. careful um, shipping thing. But it's, all, I mean, embarrassing how much it cost me to do that. I thought about leaving it. And just saying, like, maybe they can just give it to, like, a local Goodwill. But then ultimately I was convinced that, like, that was a relic from my experience that I would probably yeah. want for the rest oh, of yeah. my life. So I still got it. Like I said, trying to get the matching one, just have to sell a few more copies. So, you know, the stream team can help <laughs> me out. And then I'll be rolling around in a real green Lambo. And it'll be impossible to book on the show. You guys will never hear from me again. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So good, guys. Go get Bubble Ball inside the NBA's fight to save a season again it's available on amazon it's available in a lot of places but highly encourage you if you can to uh see if your local bookstore has a copy of ben's excellent bubble all i am not kidding uh you know you told me ben that i think i was a couple chapters in and you know we were then booking you to come on i was like yeah i got a lot of reading to do i want to get through the whole thing before i have you on you're like it gets better the second half gets better and i was like well geez first couple of chapters have been pretty damn good so that's exciting but you're right it just gets better and better and better so congratulations man like this is uh, an incredible accomplishment uh and i don't say that just because you're a friend but like the quick turnaround like you talked about in doing this is really remarkable and you would never know that you got it out that quickly because it's that well written so congrats man and uh everybody that is in the stream team right now or listening to the podcast you know we always ask you uh not for much i'd like to think here on the show but do us a favor and go buy ben's book uh bubble ball we'd really appreciate it and i know ben would so awesome work ben I appreciate you guys so much. That Lego segment just blew my mind. I'm going to watch that back like that was five crazy. times. You guys were pulling out cuts I didn't even know existed, Trey. So I, I'm blown away. I'm forever in your guys' debt. And also to JD, thank you so much for saving my life, man, because I was about to pass out in that bird park before you came through for me. So uh, thanks again. He probably bought a book while we were doing this podcast right now. It's NBA playoffs time, and that means NBA snack time. I can't stop eating while I'm watching. So many options in my house that I got to cut out a bit. I got to switch it up, but I know I'm not giving up. Sunflower seeds, sure. But maybe something that's not a food for that oral fixation, perhaps? Good thought. Here's a breath of fresh air. Fume. Fume takes your habit and simply makes it better, healthier, and more enjoyable. Fume is an innovative, award-winning flavored air device. Instead of vapor, Fume uses flavored air. Instead of electronics, Fume is completely natural. And instead of harmful chemicals, Fume uses delicious flavors. You get it. Instead of bad, Fume is good. It's a habit you're free to enjoy and makes replacing your bad habit easy. Its taste is surprising. All natural stuff. It's fun to fidget with, and it's a good weight. The wood feels good, and it feels cool to use. Start the good habit by going to tryfume.com slash dunks and getting the journey pack today. Fume is giving listeners to the show 10% off when they use our code dunks to help make starting the good habit that much easier. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. 
Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Stick around here for a second, Ben, because we got to get to Lee's tweet of the night and then pick him results. So let's go to tweet of the night. Mm, tweet of the night. Wow. Twitter. Lee, Lee, tweet of the night. What do you got, man? So this one comes in from uh, Andre Iguodala, who used to be uh, a frequent tweeter, but uh, he's no longer. And uh, we saw LeBron calling out uh, he wanted someone fired last week. Well, uh, Andre Iguodala apparently not happy with the uh, drug testers in the NBA because he, he says, whoever created urine test in the AM for men, dumb as shit, and they need to be fired. Going on hour four. So what? I have some what is questions. going on here with I this know, tweet? I have some questions. I mean... Uh, I would think first thing in the morning, if you have to give a urine sample, is the perfect time uh, to give it, really. I mean, you wake up, that's the first thing you do. You know, you don't have to sort of drink water and then wait for it to come. And then also, going on hour four, what is going on? <laughs> yeah. what He's is been going pissing on? that long or he yeah. hasn't been able to piss for now, four Now, we know, hours. we yeah. know, you know, if, if he couldn't pee, Ben can go for up to three hours without having to pee. We heard that <laughs> earlier in the show here. So uh, <laughs> maybe, you know, it's a, it's a performance thing with Andre Iguodala. But, um, I mean... Yeah, I was just thinking, like, if someone came knocking on my door at, you know, 6.37, I'd be like, yeah, phew, give me a bucket. I can fill that one up. Well, you know? not if they woke you up, though, to take a test. Maybe that's what he's pissed about. Oh, like, yeah. maybe you were sleeping, or he was sleeping, and then someone's knocking on his door. Come on, get that, that urine out, as you call it, mm. urine. Yeah. <laughs> well, right. I don't know. I just think I just think first thing in the morning is the best time. You don't want to come in late at night because then you have to drink water. And if you break the seal, then you might have to pee a few times throughout the night. That's all I'm all right. saying. It would all work right. better for me. Okay. <laughs> Tweet of the night. See, Ben, you're experiencing yeah, yeah. this firsthand here. Isn't it exciting? Okay. No, I don't know about the lead pee. Do you think they do that for the official uh, urine test? <laughs> Maybe they should. Maybe that was the sticking point, that Andre didn't want to do that. And they're like, no, you have to do He's it He's like, this I'm way. not mounting the toilet backwards. Like, you got to do it. It's the only way we can do the urine test. It's one morning, of the regulations man. is you have to be facing yeah. forward. Like, Sorry, Andre. I don't think so. Yeah, it's possible. Uh, all right. All right, pick'em results from last night. Knicks Nuggets was the game. Denver was favored by three and a half. Pick'em results brought to you by BetMGM. Myself, I took Denver. Trey took Denver. That was a win. They, uh, you know, quite handily took care of the Knicks. And then Lee took the Knicks because he wants to lose every game here to give money to charity. Tass also said something similar. So, congrats, guys. You took the Knicks and you <laughs> lost. So, good on you. I'm 3-0. and Trey's 2-1. and Tass is 1-2. and And Lee is 0-3. Can Lee keep his streak alive here of not picking a correct game for the month of May? Let's find out. Tonight's game, oh boy. The Wizards versus the Raptors. Washington favored by one and a half on the road. Washington played last night against the Bucks. Toronto, of course, in Tampa. Um, Lee, you start us off, man. You, you're the one trying to get this uh, yeah. you know, wrong. So uh, what's going to be the right one? This is a tough one because the Wizards lost a tough one last night, but it is a back-to-back. And the Raptors, who have been playing better, were rested. So I think the Raptors win. So I'm actually going to take the Wizards. <laughs> okay. I'm trying to win by losing this month. So I've got okay. the Wizards to win by at least two points. Okay. So I think T- the Raptors win. Okay. T- <laughs> well, you're, no, you're taking I'm Washington. I'm picking the Wizards. I'm okay, picking, that's okay. right. Just yeah, taking right. the yeah. Wizards because I think the Raptors are going to win. Yeah, because I'm trying to pick by. I'm trying to win by losing. So I, uh, that, that's how it's going. I don't okay, know. Okay, we got it. We got yeah. it. You're taking Washington. Uh, TK, who do you want tonight? Try and I want the Wizards. I don't think the Raptors want to win. Uh, oh. I think that they are <laughs> they're tanking, guys, and nobody really notices it. The Raptors are going to lose this one. Give me the Wizards. All to, right. To win on purpose. Okay. Uh, well... 
look, I'm perfect right now. I'm 3-0, and but Ben, you're our guest, so I'm going to let you pick for me. Again, Washington's got to win by two or more points. My Raptors are still trying to get in, possibly, to this playing tournament. TK's right. Maybe they don't even want to, but... Who are you, who you taking tonight, Ben? You're picking for me. I'm going to give you the Wizards just out of respect to the Washington Post. Um, and, you know, they're incredible. <laughs> run up the uh, Eastern Conference standings. I wrote a really half-hearted column about uh, a month into their season predicting a turnaround. And sure enough, right on schedule, they uh, made me look good. I didn't even <laughs> believe it when I wrote. So, uh, you know, I'm going to have to keep riding them. Okay, so that's three picks for the Wizards to win by two or more. And let's find out who Tass has. All right, let's try and keep this losing streak going. I said I want to lose so I can give more money to charity. That's why I am taking the Raps. Oh, wow. Jeez, look at that. A Raptors fan taking the Raps because he wants to lose. Oh, this is diabolical. This is getting sick, the pick I got to tell you, man. All right, guys, like, comment, subscribe to No Dunks on YouTube. Email us your NBA questions and comments for the next Beach Steppin' Podcast. Grab your No Dunks merch over at nodunks.com. Subscribe to The Athletic at theathletic.com slash no dunks. And uh, once again, go get Ben's book, Bubble Ball. Ben, it was so fun, man, to have you on for the entire podcast. Uh, we won't, we won't, yeah, make sure not to wait like months in between to have you back because you're a fantastic, uh, obviously, NBA mind. It's great talking to you, man. Thanks for having me. Just like I said, Luka Doncic would play the bubble anywhere, whether it was on the moon or, you know, uh, in, in Disney World. I'd be on this show anytime you guys ask. You know that. Love it. All right, Clipper Bros, take us home. You heard it here first. Have a great time. Turn up. Love you guys. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. And remember to go get Ben's book, Bubble Ball, so we can buy a real Lambo. Embrace the day, people.